This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Sales leadership frameworks, mindset tools, skill set tools, performance coaching, sales leadership training tools, video insights with some of the world's most successful sales leaders, tools used by sales leaders to create massive impact in the current environment. So don't waste your time trying to reinvent sales leadership. Head to Sales Leadership United on Patreon and check out what the world's most complete collection of sales leadership assets can do for you. Every topic you'll ever need and the tools to help you accelerate your sales leadership career all in one place. Check out Sales Leadership United today. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders of teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. Tap into the power of coaching with people who have been there, done that. If you've ever wondered how other people with jobs similar to yours are addressing challenges you're facing now, reach out to the Jepson Performance Group and learn why sales leaders all around the world choose us as their performance partner. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. And today's episode is one I am super excited about. Because in your career, you sometimes meet people who do extraordinary things, people who have massive impact on your career, and their work is so important to the whole industry that they need no introduction. And today, today I'm welcoming one of those people. I'm excited to bring one of the most influential people to the sales profession in the last two decades to the show. Brent Adamson needs no introduction to anyone who's been in the sales profession for long, but I'll give you just a taste of what Brent has done. Brent's a world-renowned researcher, author, presenter, trainer, and advisor to B2B commercial executives all around the world. He's known as having the biggest crystal ball in B2B sales, and you're about to find out why. Brent's the author of two of the most important books to ever be written for sales. They were Game Changers and Industry Changers, The Challenger Sale and The Challenger Customer. He's a frequent contributor to well-known publications like HBR. He has recent articles like Sense Making for Sales, the traditional B2B sales and marketing and how traditional B2B sales and marketing are becoming obsolete. You need to read those. You need to see what he's writing because across the last 19 years, Brent's worked with some of the greatest thought leaders in B2B and B2C sales and marketing. He's built and led exclusive communities of highly progressive commercial executives. I had the opportunity to participate in a couple of them. He's known as a world-class facilitator and speaker. He's presented to tens of thousands of leaders, both in person and virtually worldwide, ranging from executive leadership teams all the way to the biggest keynote audiences you could ever participate in. He was the chief storyteller for CEB, now Gartner, from 2003 all the way to 2022. And today, he's the global head of research and communities for ecosystems, which I'm excited for him to introduce to us today. Now, 
I want to speak personally. I had the opportunity to participate in some of those private workshops during his time at CEB. I had the time to work with him as I ran a business unit for HireVue and we were into coaching together. Brent and his work has had a massive impact on my personal sales leadership journey. Much of the success I've had stems from the impact he had created with me. And that's why I'm so excited to welcome him uh, to the Sales Leadership Podcast for the very first time, and I hope not the last. Brent, welcome to our show, and thank you so much for joining me today. Wow. That was a lot of words, Rob. <laughs> yeah, thank you, man. It's good to be with you. I, th I think there's two things I take away from that intro. One is... Um, if you write your own bio, you can make yourself sound kind of amazing. Uh, so, uh, and, and only 50% of which is true. Um, the other <laughs> thing I tell you is for what it's worth, and actually just because I'm a researcher and, and I, I'm a stickler for like facts when, when they exist, I am actually not the Brent Adamson. I am a Brent Adamson, because if you go to LinkedIn, you'll find there's at least four more out there. And I'm guessing they all earn more money than I do too. But the, uh, uh, so there you have it, but it's great to be with you. And, and uh, all joking aside, to the degree that the work that I've had the privilege to be involved when uh, involved in over the years, supported by a huge team of insanely talented people, to the degree that's had an impact on you or anyone else, is humbling as heck. But um, but super cool. So uh, all that's a really long way of saying thanks, man. I appreciate it. Oh, uh, dude, it's it's uh, it's awesome to have you on our show. Like this is this is really cool, and, and I can't wait to get into what we're going to get into today. Why, why don't you start by introducing ecosystems and what you're doing for your customers right now? Because you're doing some really cool things. Uh, I'd love yeah. for our audience to, to be clued into what's going on with you right now. Okay, so the so the ecosystems, and, and we can circle back to it. I think it'll make even more sense when we talk about some of the things you'd like to talk about today. But the um, like every other company in the world these days, uh, ecosystems is a software as a service platform. Uh, we we uh, sell or a... Um, uh, uh, access to a platform that is specifically designed to help companies and their customers sit down collaboratively, figuratively, or literally sit down together and collaboratively figure out what do you, what are you trying to do? What are the outcomes you're trying to achieve as a company? How can we help you along that journey? And then define not only what are you trying to do, but how are we going to get there? So it's, it sits in the world of what's called value management or value engineering, but it is a really powerful soup to nuts platform designed to help you and your customers collaboratively figure out what what are you trying to do and then what are the dimensions of value along which you're going to measure progress and then let's map out a journey and go make that happen i like to think of it rob as you know the the small ball version of it is it's a value management platform the real version of it in my mind when i look at it is think of this as an operating system for mm. your commercial organization, from marketing through sales to success to service and on to expansion. If you were to go run all of that on top of a, a, a software system that is customer facing, where your customers can get inside that, that platform and use it asynchronously and independently of you, but you can work with them together, all based on this idea of defining dimensions of value and tracking it. That's what we do. It's, uh, it's pretty cool stuff. Awesome. Yeah, that I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. So you're 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 still able to help people use that crystal ball of yours. And and I have one last question, Brent. Yeah, I, I could talk to you about you forever, but I want the time. I want our leaders to get yeah. to, to hear some of the other things. Yeah. How did you choose to focus your work on sales? And now you're going back in time. That's such an yeah. interesting question. Like you've you've shaped sales in the modern world at very like first it was the sale, then it was the customer yeah. and so, so other things. What led you to say this is where I want to focus my my energy around? It's you know it's an interesting question. It's kind of a funny um, answer and it's banality, but the uh, it's it's not a very interesting answer. But the uh, so before coming to corporate executive board, which became CEB, which became yep. Gartner, and that, and that was 2003. So that's almost 20 years ago now. 
um, I was a professor. I was a professor at Michigan State University teaching uh, German and linguistics. My PhD is in what's called applied linguistics. No um, way. And yeah, no, it's true. It's a true story. Uh, you know, I'm married to a German. I've lived in Germany, studied in Germany, so I'm fluent in German. And I thought I was going to make a career out of what's called German studies and, and, and what's called applied linguistics, which is the study of foreign languages. There's a different podcast of why I left academics and went to business school and got a degree. But coming yep. out of business school, uh, which is my fifth degree, it's not something I'm, I say that not because I'm proud no of it. No way! I have five <laughs> college degrees, Rob. That is a that is a story of misspent youth and really bad investment strategy right there, if you want to talk about it in detail. But, yeah. but nonetheless, when, when I came out of business school, which I was doing a night school at Michigan while teaching at Michigan State for the Americans on the call, don't know why that's a problem. Um, but the, um, I found CEB. And what CEB was looking for was people who do research and teaching, which is that was my career then. It's still my career today. It just so happens, Rob, here's the banal answer to your interesting question is, there was three openings for a researcher at CEB that year, and one of them was in the sales practice. It, you know, it could have just as easily been the marketing practice or the supply chain practice. It's literally, it just, it just kind of mm. happened that way. And, so, and that put me on a journey of just taking my research chops and my teaching chops and applying it to sales. And when you're at CEB, that gave us access to literally hundreds of chief sales officers. And then ultimately for me, marketing officers all over the world. And, and just this conduit of learning and a team of incredible researchers that led to all the things that you listed in the, in the intro. All right, then let's get after it. Yeah. For those people who haven't had a chance to hear you before, you know, you're yeah. in for a real treat today. You're in <laughs> for a treat. So uh, I remember back when I used to be speaking at Dreamforce all the time and you, mm -hmm. every, my marks were always, here's how you compared versus Brent Adamson. That's what everybody, that's what I was like, because you were always the gold standard. And so I was yeah. always happy that I was like, if I could be close, right? I, would, I, could, I did good. You're known for this crystal ball. You're known yeah. for this ability to kind of see around corners and use your data and research to, to, to help sales leaders and salespeople have a sense of what's coming in this B2B world. And mm -hmm. I think we're at a time that we're seeing change in different ways than we've ever seen it before. Okay. Yeah. And I'm really interested in just opening this up. What do you see facing sales leaders right now, Brent? What are you seeing happening and coming? Well, so, so Rob, I think in many ways, all of my work in the last five years or so and, and continuing today through ecosystems has been less about selling, which I promise we'll circle back up to and, and answer. I'm going to answer your question in a roundabout way that could take 20 minutes of conversation, but we'll Let's come back it. to sales leaders, I promise. But the, uh, the story that I think we all need to be aware of in sales today is not so much how selling is changing, but how buying is changing and, and some really dramatic shifts in customer buying behavior. Uh, some of which is customers shift towards digital, which we can come back to if you want. And the fact that they're just bypassing sales altogether, which leads to interesting implications for the sales profession altogether. But I think that the story that I think is most important for us to wrap our heads around right now is just how hard it's become for individual stakeholders to, to confidently make purchase decisions on behalf of their company. For me, it's a story of confidence. So when I'm talking to heads of functions, C-suite officers, CEOs, I, I would tell them with huge amounts of deference and respect, um, the number one thing I think we can all do today as supplier organizations or partner organizations, but run everything through the lens of customer confidence, but specifically not customer's confidence in you or your ability as a seller or your products, your features, your brand. It's customer's confidence in themselves and their ability to make large-scale decisions on behalf of their company. Because there's uh, I'll, I'll throw, I'll lay this out and I'm going to take a breath because I don't want to just rattle on because I could just go, right? But there's, I think there's actually three, excuse me, four forces that are dramatically eroding customer confidence today. And they're, they're worth talking about 
individually Love if you it. want to, but, yep. but, the, but here they are. The four forces are number one is decision complexity. It's just become really, really hard for companies to make multi-million dollar decisions. So decision complexity. Number okay. two, uh, number two is information overload. And there's, that's the sense-making for sales mm. article that you mentioned HBR, which is, it's not just high quantity, it's high quantities of information, information overload. It's high quantities of high quality information. So and Challenger was part of exacerbating this problem, right? So you're telling me to zig, they're telling me to zag. Everybody's got data. Now I'm just confused at a higher level. So I don't know what to do. So I learned more. And, it's a, and as I learn more, I just become even more confused. Um, so, so decision complexity, information overload. The third one, which showed up a lot in our research at Gartner before I left, particularly for my colleague, Hank Barnes, who's done some amazing work on customer regret, um, is implementation uncertainty. So wow. I'm, I'm very reluctant to pull the trigger on a multi-million dollar purchase if I'm uncertain of our ability to integrate implement this solution not because of any of your failings but of our own failings right and then finally so let's do one more time decision complexity uh information overload implementation uncertainty and then the final one is where i live now is what i would call value opacity and i say that rob with a bit of reluctance only because you're I gonna have to tell my... me what opacity is i'm just uh, a I see, farm that's, kid from that's, idaho man uh, i know dude i'm from <laughs> nebraska where the n on the helmet the football helmet stands for knowledge so i'm with you man right. the, uh, so i i uh, but i'm pumped i'm here all week I, I tried to find a better word than opacity, like unclarity, but as far as I know, unclarity is not a word. So I went with the fancy term opacity, but basically where the value is unclear. Un, so like value okay. unclearedness, right? Yep. But so, so the point is on this, and this is the world I live in now, this last one particularly, but the, everything we do at Eco is tied to all four of these, but value opacity is the whole idea of like, what are we even trying to do? Do we agree on what we're trying to do? How, how do we know when we get there? What are the metrics we're going to use to measure? So when, when you're, because I'll tell you where we are right now. Um, it, particularly if you're in a recurring revenue model is with the downturn and the, the tightness and the economy recession may be coming up. What's happening, I think we all know, is your customer, your stakeholder, your champion, your mobilizer is, is currently figuratively or literally in the office of their CEO. And they're having a conversation, a very tough conversation with their CFO about your product. And the question I think we all need to think about is not, are you ready for that conversation? But are they ready for that conversation? Have we equipped that person, whoever is speaking on our behalf, to go into their CFO's office and have a very tough conversation about why they shouldn't just kill this thing? Like, what's in it? What's the value of this thing? And so if we're not buttoned down on value, I think that's always true. But it's when, when the economy tightens, like, but being crisp on value is critical. So so value opacity. Yeah, listen, we, we can drill that? in any of those. There's a story behind each and every one of them. They sum up to even a better story. So we can go let's wherever start you with want. The, let's start with the one you're living in right now, because I think that yeah. like, I love your four things because they apply, especially to the big deals. But yeah. I think number four in particular applies to every deal. Wouldn't you say yeah. that to every single deal? Uh, yes, but the stakes can be higher, but 100%. Of and, course and, and higher. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So and by the way, it's a quick note on this confidence point because, I, and I just to belabor it because that's what I do. Um, yeah. Okay, baby. Notice, poke it. <laughs> notice all these dimensions of confidence or these forces eroding confidence. Yeah. It's not that they're eroding customers' confidence in you. It's a, they're eroding customers' confidence in themselves. I think that's the that's the bigger thing we have to ask ourselves. It's just how confident are our customers? in making a decision and pulling the trigger and moving forward. And if they don't feel confident because they don't know exactly how this, the decision is supposed to go down or what information to really prioritize or how implementation is going to go or what, what's even, how do they even define value? They're not going to pull the trigger. And so exactly. this is where we can help them. So, so particularly on the value. And if you want to dig in there yeah. a little bit, um, let's start there. I'm, 
Yeah, go ahead. Did you? No, I just have one question first. I want to ask. Yeah. Do you remember Gary, what is it, Gary Larson, The Far Side? Do you remember yeah. those comics? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's one that I think of when I think of value, and it's it's a play on the ice cream truck. There's a guy in an ice cream truck, and he's got pictures of asparagus on the side, and he's saying through his microphone, I cuss, you cuss, we all cuss for asparagus, and nobody's at it. So are they different? Yes, but do people value it? No. Okay. Yeah. And so I know, I know for a fact, because I have people hitting me up every day on email and LinkedIn, et cetera, on things that they value that they expect or or suspect or think I would value. How do you find out what people value? Any like, how do you get yeah. a customer to tell you with their own mouth what they value? Because that I think is a massive part of it, isn't it? Well, I think one of the the the, the mistakes that we all are maybe mistakes that's too strong, but one of the traps we fall into is is asking them and assuming and and it's not so much asking them as the problem, although that there, this can be problematic. It's assuming that they know that they have an answer. Like, what do yes. you value? So, so we ask our customers, what exactly? It's, it's kind of like asking what's keeping you up at night. It's like. Dude, if Worst you ask me that, I'll tell you. Today. Yeah. Right. If you ask me what's keeping me up at night, I'll my answer is like, what's not keeping me up at night? I mean, come on. I think the list is long. You really have the time. So it's the the so here's what happens in the world of value. More often than not, and particularly from, and I say this with great love for and and respect, honestly, for people in the sales profession, but value oftentimes gets boiled down to a ROI calculator, a total cost of ownership, a lifetime value. Look at all the money that we can save you by buying our solution. Look at all the money that you can. And if you're in challenger world, it's actually one step upstream, which is, I would argue better, which is look at all this money you can make or save by taking this course of action that you hadn't anticipated. So I can teach you about a course of action, show you the business model for it. But, but if what by upstream, what I mean is before you start talking about the dimensions of value, what we believe at Eco and what I believe just personally, which is why I'm at Eco, is you have to get the customer aligned on the outcomes they're trying to achieve prior to the dimensions of value. Like literally, what are you trying to do? And, and, and the crucial element here is it's not just asking your um, decision maker or your ICP, what they are trying to do as an individual, you have to get alignment across the key stakeholders in that buying group. And they have to agree with each other. Because if Rob, if you're trying to achieve this, and I'm trying to achieve that, so the seller sells just to me and not to you, because their product speaks to my needs and not or my outcomes, not yours, I still have to go to you and get you aligned. And now all you've done is you've taken the burden of selling off of your shoulders and put it on mine. That's not actually very helpful, right? So, mm. so how so the step one is, to get clarity around the outcomes. And it can't just be at the high altitude. I, I read a, a, a I'm, I'm putting out these snackable, I call them snackable contents. They're little two minute uh, videos. Uh, we're gonna do these weekly. And I just did one the other day that'll be out in a couple of weeks around the, the right altitude. Cause you can start these outcomes at like, we wanna grow by 3%. And the trouble is when you start at that altitude, is this too high? Because let's say then you like, okay, you want to grow by 3%. We're going to help you do that. All right, buy our stuff. They buy your stuff. And then lo and behold, a quarter, two quarters later, you've grown by 3%. And you say, see, look, you grew by 3%. Basta, you know, buy our stuff again, or it's buy even more. And then someone yeah. says, yeah, but was it really because of you that we grew 3%? So you wind up in this attribution battle. You wind up in this really raging debate about the causal chains between your solution and our outcome. So what you have to do, I think, is you got to take that outcome, like grow by 3%, and then drill down one, maybe two levels to like, okay, if we want to grow by 3%, what are the three things that happen that need to happen to make that growth happen? What are the primary drivers? And from there, you got to drill down one step further, probably to what we call secondary drivers, and there's tertiary after that. 
And you have to be able to say and say, okay, if we do this here, that's going to lead to this, which is going to lead to that. And there's a, a clear causal chain between what your solution does and that ultimate high level outcome. But the critical thing is everyone has to agree on that logic. Everyone has to believe that that is true. So that when you show that you've reached this outcome on this secondary driver, when, and they've already agreed in advance to, to that higher, to, to its attribution or contribution, I should say, to, to that higher level outcome. Um, and there's there's a bunch of techniques to do that. But one of the things, let me give you a real practical, because I know you like tactical tips and I do too. Yep, yep. So so one of the ways to figure out how to have this conversation with your customers, in fact, there's two. So let's start with this one, is don't just go and ask your customers what outcomes are you trying to achieve? This goes back, we talked about this from the very beginning with Challenger too, but oftentimes I would argue, if I may, and this is from a lot of experience and from research, that you have a better sense for what outcomes your customers care about or should care about than, in fact, your customers. And the reason why is because your customers may be going on a journey like this for the first time, or at least, yep. you know, in, in, but you do this with your customers every single day, right? And so the, here's the tactic. I call it the phrase that pays, which is so deeply cynical, but bear with me. Um, is, okay. it's, it's something I use in my career literally almost weekly is to say something like, in working with other customers like you, one of the things that we have found is X. Right. So, yes. you know, in, in working with other customers like you, we have found that generally speaking, there's three outcomes that seem to matter most. What would your reaction be? Are, or do these three look familiar to you? So in other words, my role there is to come to the table with a hypothesis. And it's not a hypothesis I generated out of nothing, but it is indeed from working with other customers like you. So in other words, I say that I got to mean it. I can't just be making it up. Um, but the, the thing that I'm doing there is creating a framework for for outcomes i'm not saying you know blank sheet of paper what are you trying to do We're rather saying is it this or is it that and 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 what i'm also doing at the same time is i'm positioning myself as not so much as a seller but as a connector which i think is so much more valuable i'm not here to sell you something i'm just here to actually tell you what there's one thing every company wants to know more than anything else it's weird i've seen this 20 years now rob you know what every company wants to know more than anything else is what do other companies like them do? It's just yes. like, and we want to know what, yes. like they all want to know, right? What other companies, so, so play that role. That's your value. It's like in working with other companies like you, one of the things we found, you know, the, the three outcomes we find are most common are these three. And by the way, the way this plays out is the CIO cares about it this way. The CFO cares about this way. I know we haven't talked to your CFO. Would she articulate it the same way? So what I'm doing here, this is, this is how my thinking has evolved since Challenger. I, I still stand by Challenger. I think it's still right in, in the right circumstances. I think it's less differentiated than it used to be. But I think for me, it's this is a move from what I would call frame breaking, which is Challenger, mm -hmm. to what I would call frame making, which is creating a framework, providing a framework to your customers to give them a way to just start having the value conversations. So in other words, if I say, you know, working with other customers like you, here's the three outcomes we see coming up most often. I noticed number two hasn't come up yet in the conversation. Is that is that omission or is that, is that somebody's because it's not important to you or, or is it just not on the radar screen? Now, when we dig into this deeper, we always find the CFO would articulate it this way versus the CMO would articulate it this way. Now, you being a CMO, that, that seems to align with what you said. Have you talked to your CFO about this? Because we find, generally speaking, working with other CFOs, this is how they articulate. So see what I'm doing? I'm, I'm putting a framework around it. I'm so guiding good. the conversation. And that's so for a leader, as opposed to a sales rep, as your role as a sales leader is, are you helping and coaching your sales reps to adopt that role, to have that conversation? And particularly for younger sales reps, they'll freak out. They'll say, I can't sell. I can't go into the C-suite and talk to someone who's, you know, this is my, by the way, going back full circle, 
I came out, so I was, I was an adult. I was 30 something when I joined CEB, but because I had a 15 year career of teaching, but I was a German professor, Rob, and I was talking to chief sales officers, right? I'm a German I literally taught a final and German 102. And the next day I'm talking to a head of sales about how they're thinking about, I don't know, their comp plan or something. And I learned very, very quickly that the value I brought to the table is not what I learned in some grad seminar about linguistics. The value I brought to the table is the fact that I just talked to three other chief sales officers in the previous four hours and could share with this one what they said confidentially and all that kind of stuff, of course. Of course. And so this is your role. So if I'm a sales leader and I'm working with particularly my younger sales force, because this is exactly what we used to do at CEB. We would put 20-somethings on the phone as what we called advisors or content deliverers, and they would go head-to-head with C-suite officers on some of the best content in the world because their role wasn't to be the expert. Their role was to be the connector. And that's, I think, a really interesting way to coach your sales reps is to think about how can I help my sales reps talk and position themselves in a way of connecting you to insight as opposed to making them feel like they have to be the expert. If that, do you, that, I don't know, that I'm with you. With no, you? I, I'm, 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 it's hard for me to shut up because it takes a lot to shut me up, actually, Brent. So thank you, uh, by yeah. the way. <laughs> I, I love what you're saying. I, I, I love everything about this because I, I, one of the reasons that people, when I'm, when I'm coaching sales leaders, they want that. Well, exactly what you said, Rob, I'm hiring you because you're working with 140 other sales leaders. Right. What are they doing about X? I want to know what they're doing about X. And so when I'm working with sales leaders, I, I don't frame it near as elegantly as you just did. I'm going to give you credit, of course, and we're going to have the video of this and Sales Leadership United and, and people will be loving these snippets that we'll put in there. Here's yeah. what I say. You have a gift for them. I love how you say you're a connector, not a connector of people like networking, but a connector of insights and, and, yeah, and right. what people are doing. I say the gift that you bring, the gift you have, the thing you have that they don't have is perspective. Sales leaders have to have a blinder on. They have to. They got to have their blinders on because the pressure to hit a number. They, They have to be focused. You, however, have this. You bring it back. You can bring perspective that they don't have and might not be able to get any other way without investing a ridiculous amount of time that will hurt them in their real job. So... You know, and what this does like too, that. Rob, is it, it puts um it puts a finer and very realistic point on an old cliche, which is sales is team sport. And and this actually is true in this sense, because when I say in working with other customers like you, one of the things we've been surprised to learn is because I didn't necessarily see it. I didn't necessarily have the conversation, but someone on our company did, and we shared collectively. So in other words, and I think at the very least, sales leaders with their team, whether it's seven people or 700, it's not 700, but you know, it's, it's a, they they can aggregate knowledge. They can say, what do we know collectively? I think the best companies do this across the entire company, probably um, um, supported by technology. But but this is how you learn at scale. So you can deploy an entire sales force to the field with the collective knowledge. It's almost like the Borg, right? It's like, the, but the collective knowledge. Yeah, of the group. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. That's something that you're, that the, our leaders, if there's one thing you take from this, this is something that will make you necessary. You'll connect to because they don't have that. They don't, they don't have the ability to know what's going on. I found, and you tell me what you find. You work with tons mm-hmm. of sales leaders. You've worked with more sales leaders than I have. They all see similar problems. They just evidence themselves a little different way. And, and your, your ability to say, I like how you call it the phrase that pays. I like the way you say that. As I've worked with, you know, like my way of doing is like I yeah. talk with people in this, you know, same role all day, every day. And all anybody wants to talk about is A, B, and C. Does yeah. this sound like you? Have you got the, anyway, yeah. yeah. But they, they're like, and by the way, every, every one of those conversations, this is somewhat tongue in cheek, but there's a lot of truth to this too. Every one of those conversations will start with the customer telling you that they're different. 
hundred percent of them will. Yeah. Right. And you have to say, of course you are. Of course you are. However, right. as we've worked with people like you, this is what we found. And so yeah. that's something you know, that you oh, can oh, that, do. So, so I, I'm, I'm a tactical level. You got me in tactic mode right now. So yeah, let's go. Here's another okay. tactic for you. And this is going to sound deeply cynical, but I actually mean this. And I've learned this from the school of hard knocks. So what you just did is like, so, because what you just did is exactly this. When you said, they say, well, yeah, but Rob, we're different. And you say, you're right. So, but, but when you say you're right, you don't actually mean they're right. You mean they're wrong, right? So the best way to tell uh, someone that they're, uh, the best way to tell someone that they're wrong is to first tell them that they are right. You want a tactic that now, if that sounds cynical, I don't mean it because what I mean is actually, here's the thing is when you tell them that they're right. So the best way to tell someone that they're wrong is to first tell them that they're right. Here's the caveat. And this is critically important. When you tell someone that they're right, you have to actually mean it. You have to yes. feel it. You know, it's, when I say you're right, you, you are different. So I don't have to, I don't have to go through the whole spiel, but at least I think it. So when someone says, yeah, but Brent, we're different, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. And I might tick off a couple ways you're, you know, you guys, I know you guys go to channel, you got this weird thing where you're moving to the subscription base or whatever it might be. It, but then the next word I'm going to say is, you know, is what is the word, but, but, right. But, right. And then I'm going to say, but, but here's, what's so interesting in working with other companies, at least somewhat like you, one of the things, and then I'm off and running. So you, in other words, you can start to take these little tactics and string them together. And then, and then it's like, because the weird schizophrenic thing about customers is they all believe they're different, but they all want to know what other companies like them are doing. It's like, how can you know what other companies like you are doing if you believe that there is no other company like you because you're different? It's like, mm. and so you just, you just have to play it out. And so, and, but I have learned that when I give someone the grace and say, you're right, and I mean it because there is always an element of what they're saying that is right. And they're coming from somewhere that is informed and experienced. They're not just saying, uh, that because they just want to be combat every once in a while, they just want to be combative, but more often than not, they've, they've got a point and you've got to accept that. By the way, I think this totally works in marriage and relationships too. But, um, but again, if you, if it's sniffed out and seen as cynical, then it probably is the worst thing you could ever do in your marriage. I'm guessing I've just, yeah. Anyway, something to think about. So we, we, we could spend two or three episodes of these 45 minute episodes on value. Okay. I'm glad yeah. we gave it the time we did. We've only got yeah. 19 minutes left. <laughs> I knew it would go crazy. I knew it. Like, I hope like crazy you'll come back in a few months and we'll do a round two. Okay. Um, Unless your audience says, heck no. (laughs) No, no. This is going to be one that they're going to say. And then they'll say, we never want to hear from him again. And you'll say, you're right. But we're going to bring it back anyway. (laughs) You know what I'm going to hear? They're going to be pissed off and say, Jepson, in four years, you've had the show going. You've had over 200 episodes and you're only bringing them now. They're going to, that's what they're going to say. Yeah. where, where do you want to go next? We, we've hit value. I love that you talk about yeah. clarity. I think clarity is the superpower of the best sales leaders. People that are good at helping create clarity do much better. Like clarity is the catalyst of speed. Yeah. Confusion is the enemy of okay, speed. Okay, let, let, me, let me do this for you. Let me bring it full circle. Yeah. So when I'm out on tour, I'm doing sales kickoffs and keynotes yeah. and podcasts and all that. But here's sort of, you know, like you, I'm sure, I, I always have like one or two sort of talk tracks or the sto- yes. stories is probably a better word. Um and this is effectively what it is. It's a map of kind of where here's where my head's at right now. Um, here's what I'm seeing, what I'm thinking for what it's worth. Anybody, you know, like this and the two bucks, I'll get you a coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. Right. But the, uh, I should mean, not, I mean, it get you half a coffee. At Dunkin Donuts. I don't know I don't if know. it'll get you that. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, it will. I, I, I'm not a coffee drinker, but as long as I get a diet Coke and a Chipotle, I'm happy, but that's another story. But the, uh, okay. so, so when we think about those four forces eroding customer confidence, decision, complexity, uh, information overload, implementation, uncertainty, and value, opacity. And then we put that together with this frame making idea that I mentioned earlier. I think that's that's our opportunity to differentiate ourselves in today's marketplace to stand out. So there's 
there's a longer riff on this if you'd like i'd love to take you yep let's go let's go let's go all right then all right let's do it so it's a riff on the last 20 years of sales so here you go i'm going to give you the history lesson of sales in 20 years all right so let's do it okay so when, and this is all based on personal experience, I'm old enough now to actually say that I, I've lived through all this, which is terrifying to me, that, but we'll park the existential dread and just go back to, to 1999, 2000. When I joined CEB, uh, Corporate Executive in 2002, 2003, all of our research at that time, and you may remember this, Rob, was all about shifting from what we called product selling to solution selling. Right? I remember it clearly. Yeah. So, so and the, and the whole idea was, and as all the feedback we we're getting from sales organizations around the world is our products are easily replicable. There's fast followers. We're getting commoditized faster and more totally than ever before. We're competing on nothing but price. We need to find a way to compete and differentiate ourselves. So the window of differentiation along product attributes alone had essentially closed or narrowed significantly. And people were looking for a new sort of window or foot, a new opportunity for differentiation. That was solution selling. And the idea was if we, um, if we acquire more capabilities, add on services, go through M&A to build out you know, a, a broader set of, of uh, capabilities we bring to the market to offer a broader solution to our customers, uh, that's a unique world where one plus one plus one equals four, and we can therefore charge higher prices and, 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 and command higher margins for that. And so everyone went on this process from 2000, but roughly 2000 to 2010, to become a solution seller. And this back in CB days, we wrote story or we wrote studies called uh, simplifying solutions execution, for example, because these are really hard things to do. Okay, fast forward to 2010. So 10 years later, what had happened was we we're starting here a significant amount of rumbling around, hey, so that whole solution selling thing, well, well, the right thing to do, no one was saying it was the bad, it was a bad idea, but people were saying the the we're seeing diminishing returns on our ability to win margins as a result of differentiation because it's harder and harder to differentiate our solutions because while we've been spent while we spent the last 10 years building out a solution you know who else did our direct competitor right mm. so you think about FedEx and UPS is a perfect example and this is nothing negative or positive about these are great companies but both of them have world class solutions one started with tra- um with trucks and one started with airplanes they each bought the other thing then they all they each bought chain stores and so they now have both our world-class leaders in global logistics. Um, this is all pre-Amazon days, right? Um, yep. And so what happened was 2010, here they are, they got world-class solutions, and yet they're just as commoditized as they were before because, they're, because this isn't a story about commoditization. It's a story about differentiation. How do I stand out? Mm. So right about that time, 2010, Rob, this is when we captured lightning in a bottle. Uh, and that's when Challenger hit as a story. Because remember, the heart and soul of the Challenger story is it's actually the biggest, single biggest opportunity to differentiate yourself today is not based on what you sell, but based on- How? How, how you, you sell, sell, right? Yes. It's you go yep. to market, not just with a great solution, but you go to market with a world-class insight to teach your customers something new about their business. And this is how you're going to stand out because no one else was doing that. But shortly thereafter on 2011, 12, right about, in fact, parallel to that, because Challenger wasn't the whole thing, right? But right about the same time, whether they'd ever seen the book or heard the word Challenger, most particularly CEOs and CMOs got on the similar bandwagon, which is we're having a hard time differentiating based on our product. So we're going to differentiate not on how we sell, but what we sell by becoming, wait for it. We are going to become, here it comes, Rob, we're going to become a thought leader. Because if we can become a thought leader (laughs) in our industry, that's going to allow us to stand out. We're going to differentiate ourselves based on the fact that we're saying smarter things and insights than anyone else. And our customers are going to look to us for leading insights to help them with their mission critical priorities and are going to come to us first. 2015, we got serious about this. We doubled down because that's when about... I don't know if it was the first time, but Scott Brinker comes out with his map of the MarTech stack with all the logos yep. on it, right? 
Um, yep. So now we've got now we've got technology to allow us to produce more content and deliver it to the marketplace at scale. We have a whole strategy called content marketing. We've got better data than ever before. This I call the smartness arms race. So 2010 to 2020 is just ramping up and spamming the world with really smart things at scale. You get to 2019, 2020, so 10 years later, and you know where everyone is on the customer side? Confused as heck, right? Because it's not just everybody saying great stuff. They're saying there's a high quantity of content. There's a high quantity of quality content. Whether it's challenger or thought leadership or something else, you're telling me to zig, you've got data, you've got white papers, you've got experts, you've got relevance, but they're telling me to zag. Either that or you're saying smart stuff, but they're saying smart stuff. So just saying smart stuff is insufficient to truly differentiate yourselves. And this is where I think the window on insight and thought leadership, while still open as a source of differentiation, is narrowing. And if you think about where are we today, and it's like, what's next? What now? This is the move from frame breaking to frame making. The, the story going on on the customer side now is a story of just being overwhelmed by all the forces I already, as I won't belabor that point, where customers really, their biggest struggle is just their confidence in their own ability to make large scale decisions on behalf of their company. And so I think it's a shift from, from you know, what we sell to how we sell to how we help. So the question today Say that is- again. Much, Say yeah, it again. So from, what, that, from what we sell. That, come on, man. Keep up. No. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> from, hey, yeah. I'm on page three right now on my notes over here, brother. <laughs> I'm on But it's moved from, I just talk really fast. I apologize. No, but it's, it but this from, is a drop that I want everybody to hear. This is a really okay. great chain that you have here. It is a, it is a move from what we sell yep. to how we sell to how we help. And, I, and that, to me, is the thing, again, as a leader, because as a leader, a sales leader, I'm asking my team all the time, how do we get this customer to buy? And I would argue the better question for you as a leader today to ask your team is how can we help this customer how decide? Help? Not how do we get them to buy, but how do we help them decide? How can we help them feel confident in making, not just, just making a decision, right? It's just feeling confident to make a decision on behalf of their company. That's going to be a clip that we, I'm going to take that little rant, that story from 2002 to 2022. I'm going to chop that one. That's going to be in sales leadership United. That's going to be one that I send you that right there. That should be required. Listen, we both know Howard Dover. Well, every, every student out there, every, every sales student should get that clip from you and commit it to memory. Well, there, so. There, so that's, that's a, you know, 25 year history of sales in a nutshell. Here's where I think Rob, it's really interesting. So let's talk about the, can we talk about the tech industry for just a second? Yes. The tech industry, um, I'm in the tech industry now, just full disclosure, as I've already said, yep. but I get a little nuts when I talk to the tech industry, because I would argue in many cases, it seems like the tech industry is 10, they think they're 10 years ahead while actually being 10 years behind. And what I mean by that, and I say that with respect, there's a lot of smart people, but here's the thing. Think about all the effort today around PLG or product-led growth. You know what that yep. is? It's, it's yep. a move back. 20 years in time to we're going to compete. If we have products that are so good, so different, they they sell themselves, right? And we kind of know how that works out because we've seen this happen is at some point you grow fast enough and big enough that no the products don't just sell themselves because they can be easily replicated because they, there's fast followers. And those companies are going to inevitably have to move into the solution journey, which is, and the whole thing's like rinse and repeat. And then they're going to be on a journey just 10 years behind while claiming they're 10 years ahead because they're being so smart. Here is where I think it gets especially interesting though, is for the, for the PLGers, the tech, they don't have to worry about it. You know why, Rob? Because Tell they're me. not- they're not playing for growth. They're playing for an exit, right? In other words, I can, mm. I can spam mm. the earth with, with BDR calls and I can spam the, I, I can just like spam the world with cold calls and in-mails. So I could essentially, I can run the play of BDRs and you know, sending in-mails and, and, and huge amounts of volumes of calling, 
because I'm working and that works because I'm working off a small denominator. I'm a small company, right? And so yes. it's easy to grow it for it at double digit growth or 20% when you're working off a small denominator. But at some point you get big enough where those plays don't work anymore. This is what happened to us at CEB. I lived through this in 2004, 2005, where that, that playbook we ran 20 years ago stopped working because we got too big for the for the math to work anymore. But in, in, the, in the tech world, this is somewhat cynical. And I mean this somewhat tongue in cheek, but kind of not at the same time, because in the tech world, that stops being my problem because right about then is when I, I exit. It's like, you know what? This is now officially someone else's problem. And by the way, to say that's crazy or dumb would be nuts because those people are billionaires and I'm a schlub just trying to make a living, right? So who's who's the you know smarty now, right? So, uh, but nonetheless, I do think it's interesting for those companies that acquire those companies or invest- They're inheriting in a problem. They're inheriting they're, a problem. They're, in, they're inheriting a system with limited upside potential. Now, if you're buying that company for a capability, it might make sense. But if you're buying that company for a growth number, I'd be very careful because that's, that's, that's the whole thing's fascinating to watch the physics of selling and the physics of commerce. It's just, it blows me away. All right. This is amazing. We're down to our last nine minutes and I'm going to all nine of them because we both have to stop at the top yep. of this hour. So this has been ridiculously good. I, I want to now summarize. I want to put a bow okay. on it for our leaders. Yeah. We've got 40, 45,000 listeners listening to this right now. And and this has been epic and they're, they're going to be, everybody. <laughs> there we go. What are two or three things we've talked about value. We've talked about frame making. We've talked about these four forces. We, we, yeah. we, we've talked about these things. Is there two or three things you, you said, we're going to come back. Like what are two yeah. or three things as you look into that crystal ball, what are two or three things that you as a leader, maybe it's a skill they want to have. Maybe it's a culture or an environment they want to create for their reps, but are there two or three things you say, Hey, if you want to be one of these elite leaders of the future, here are a couple yeah. things you want to be doing. You know, the um, I'm going to use an overused term, and which is a bummer that this term is overused because it's so important. It's the term empathy. Um, like, like, let's never let that word become so overused that it loses its impact because it's so critical. But the I think as a leader, or frankly, as a sales professional at any level, one of the things that I think would behoove us, there's a fancy word, uh, today is to truly get into the minds of our customers and understand what it feels like to buy. So I'm not talking about the rational, what is the buying process or mapping the buying journey. I want to know the affective side, the emotional side. What, where, where do they get frustrated? Where do they get stuck? Where are they nervous? Where are they uncertain? That's, that's what I need to know. And, and you think, well, well, how the heck am I supposed to do that? It can be actually very quite practical, Rob. And it, this can be done, by the way, through marketing and through you know focus groups. But why couldn't you do this through sales conversations, which is to say, Think about a customer that has managed to cross the finish line and buy your solution. Here's, a, here's two really good questions to ask them. If you had to do this all over again, what would you do differently to make things go a little bit easier? That, mm. Or if, if you were, now that you've successfully made it to the finish line or maybe even successfully implemented and you're seeing value, if you were to give advice to someone else about to go on the journey from the beginning of looking into this capability and buying it, what advice would you have for them to make it easier for them to go on that journey? And whatever they tell you as an answer should then become part of the conversation that goes like this. In working with other companies like you, one of the things we find is this, this, this decision process can really go off the rails if you, when procurement gets involved, because oftentimes they get involved, and I'm just gonna make this up, but, but in other words, take whatever you learn and, and apply it. So it might be, you know, in, in working with other customers like you, we find that, you know, procurement almost always has to look these, these things over. We keep hearing again and again, procurement always gets involved late. They blow everything up, just drives you nuts, makes you so frustrated. 
based on that and what we've seen, the best companies really do this well. We'd, we'd suggest that you might consider getting procurement involved in uh, getting, getting them involved early as opposed to late. And when you get them involved, we find it's almost always these three questions that you're going to need to answer. Um, and so we've put that together for you and given you the, the, the tools you need to go have that conversation with your uh, with your colleagues in procurement. The whole idea is there is I'm sourcing what are those what are those points? There's like confidence gaps. You know, like yes. if I'm map like what are the what are the points where confidence flags, where it comes up short? And how can I help the next customer avoid those traps of confidence erosion going forward? That's that's why why is that not selling? Why is selling about features and benefits and speeds and feeds as opposed to helping customers just feel more confident about their own ability to navigate the complexity of decision-making today. Brett, that is a really, really good one. And you're right. I hope empathy never becomes just a buzzword. You're right. I'm afraid uh, it likely will, but but somehow that's my mission. To, that's why I don't actually like to say the word out loud too often, Rob, for that very reason. Yeah. I just like, he's the empathy guy or we need empathy. It's, it's just too important of a word and too important of a, of a behavior and a concept for just human relations for us to turn it into a sales methodology. I think that's just too crass and blunt of an instrument to to take something this powerful and, and you know, like it's a sales technique. No, it's actually about humans being humans. I know we're low on time. I know we're out. Let's start wrapping this up. How do they yeah. get more of you? I want to first, like, how, how do people get more of you? How do they get more of ecosystems? You know, yeah. how, how do they pick up like where you're riding and, and things? How, how okay. do they start making sure they're getting what you have to offer? Yeah, a, a couple of things. I'm kind of all over the place now. I've post Gartner, which is kind of cool. But the, uh, the first thing I would suggest for anyone for whom this conversation sounds intriguing and wants to be part of our community. So one of the things I'm doing at ecosystems is building what we call a customer value community. And it's not just value engineers or value management specialists, but anyone who cares about figuring out how to better articulate and, and collaborate with customers around value. Um, you can find more about the CVC or the customer value community on our website, which is ecosystems.us, uh, soon hopefully to be ecosystems.io for the non-Americans here. We'll put that link in the show notes. Yeah, too. so we'll do we'll do ecosystems.us. And then the other thing I tell you is um, uh, I've, we, the ecosystems just started a, um, uh, a YouTube channel for me. <laughs> so it's like, nice. I hate, be, I hate being the center of attention, but we're and a colleague named it, I think it's hilarious, Ed Dark at the same time. It's called Brent's Breakdown. My joke is I've been going through that since sixth grade. Uh, but the uh, Brent's breakdown <laughs> is two-minute snackable bite-sized chunks of insights. So in other words, if you were to take the conversation we just had and break it into like two-minute little nuggets, what would that sound like? So we're going to publish one a week. We published the first one last week. You can find that on YouTube. You can find it on our website. We'll put it on LinkedIn. And just reach out to me. You know, let's see if I can get 45,000 connections on LinkedIn in the next week or so. I don't know. But, uh, but reach let's out. I'm it. always happy to connect with you. And, and then buy our software. It's got great features and benefits. That's the last thing I'd say. <laughs> Brent, see, I led, was, I led too. I didn't lead with. Did you see how I did that? <laughs> I, I, I see you working, baby. I see you working. Um, and, and to our listeners, we will have the links to everything you said. Plus to our members of Sales Leadership United, we'll have a bunch of four to five minute video clips uh, of this conversation, easy to consume. Um, I got one last thing. I, well, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to give you a final thought. Do you got, do you yeah. got any, any more books cooking? Do you got anything cooking that we could be on high alert for? You got, you got the next best I, thing from Brent coming? I'm on the fence about another book. I, I, I just don't know if that's the right vehicle with which to get insight out in the world. I'm, I'm super intrigued by going the exact opposite way, this sort of two-minute quick bite size. It's like a TikTok world yep. we live in. So, so yep. I don't know if there's another book or not. I'm, I'm working with a couple of friends and colleagues on some really cool projects that may become a book, and I, I hope they do. So um, I would say, if I could, Rob, real quick, my, my co-author and, and good friend Matt Dixon and another friend yep. of ours, Ted McKenna, just came out with a book called The Jolt Effect, which captures a... He and I have been working in parallel but separate for about the yep. last 10 years, um, and his book, The 
the jolt effect actually captures a lot of the same themes that I've been talking about today. So it's definitely worth a read. Perfect. Okay. Final thought. Yep. 45,000 that you said hi to. You got one final thought as we, we get off this and we send them back out to their, their jobs with their teams. You got one last thought to put a bow on this for anyone? Well, beyond sort of just take care of each other and take care of yourselves out there, I mean, which I think is critical it, it, to put a finer point on it. Yeah. Here's, here's, here's the real quick point I put on is, is when, you're, when you're sharing ideas, insight, information, having a conversation with your customer. I, I, I've trained people on this for years. Don't just solve for what you want them to know solve for what you want them to feel. And I think that's a really critical point. So, so here's, a, here's the information I want to convey to you, but what is the feeling that I want to connect you on? Are you concerned? Then I want to use language that conveys concern. Do I want to get you excited? Then I want to use language that conveys excitement. There's a, this goes back to my linguistics background. And there's a lot of NPL, uh, neuro-linguistic programming, um, uh, uh, stuff, NLP stuff, I should say, uh, around this too. But, but think about how, not just what do I want my customers to know, but how do I want my customers to feel and solve for that? That's it. That is it. That's the perfect way. Drop the mic, Brent, as always. Um, his name is Brent Adamson. He has, he has had massive influence and, and, and impact on the sales world for the last two decades. And the best is yet to come. If you haven't connected with him, do it. If you haven't been following what he's doing at Ecosystems, do it. Uh, I hope that we have 45,000 people go and subscribe to Brent's breakdowns as a result of this. Okay. Uh, Brent. Awesome. You are amazing. Thank you so much for joining us and for what you've done for the profession. And as I say to everyone, happy selling. Thank you, Rob. And to, uh, to you and everyone else out there, I'm just a schlub like all of us, just in the fight together. So man, uh, to be well, everybody, and, and cheers. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Developing sales leadership assets is not easy. Listen, companies go to great lengths to equip salespeople with the tools they need to win in their market. But as sales leaders, we are left on our own to equip ourselves to win how we lead and develop our salespeople. And over a 20 plus year history of working with sales leaders, coaching and training leaders in over 1,000 companies and in winning 18 American Business Awards for sales leadership, I've collected an arsenal of tools you can tap into. Sales leadership frameworks, mindset tools, skill set development tools, sales meeting ideas you can use immediately, video insights from this and other episodes of the Sales Leadership Podcast, a private podcast for members only. Listen, my, my mission is to bring you the tools you need to help you get from where you are to where you want to be, but just doing it faster than you thought possible. I want you to think of Sales Leadership United as a Home Depot for sales leaders with all the sales leadership assets you need tagged and organized by topic to help you fuel your sales leadership journey. New material is added every single week to ensure you stay current and become an elite sales leader. So give yourself the gift of perspective and access to the tools used by some of the world's most successful sales leaders. Invest in yourself. You're worth it. Use the link in the show notes and head over to Patreon to check out Sales Leadership United today. I also got to thank you, our listeners. We are we're about to crack the 50,000 download per month uh, barrier on the show. I'm blown away at how fast we continue to grow. It's mind-boggling to me that the show is being listened to by so many leaders in so many countries around the world. And many of you have told me that you've listened to every one of the now over 200 episodes. 
and I love hearing the story of how the shows helped you in your leadership journey. They fire me up. I love hearing them. So keep those DMs coming. Thank you for listening because there is no show without you. I do this because I love the sales leadership community, and I'm so grateful that so many of you have found the show helpful. Thank you. Your support for the show has always been humbling and inspiring, and I will keep bringing killer guests to you just like Brent. Brent Adamson is a legend in the sales world. The challenger sale, the challenger customer. Listen, those are required reading. That, those were landmark uh, books in the sales world. Those are things that everybody in sales needs to at least be aware of. And he's ended up playing a massive role in how salespeople work and in how we act and how we think, all elements of how we approach our job. I personally have learned so much from this guy as I've read his books, as I've consumed his articles and his other publications, as I've listened to him speak at the world's biggest conferences. And probably my favorite is as I've had opportunities to participate in the workshops he's conducted. So I'm really grateful we had the opportunity to have him join me on the podcast. And he brought up a topic that is timely, so timely and so important right now. And it's, we got to build confidence, but not the kind of confidence we usually talk about. Not confidence in ourselves, not confidence in our teams, though those are really important. We need to help our customers build confidence in their decision-making. In the last 60 days, I've seen a marked difference in decision-making. I'm recording this in the middle of October. It was like, it was August. In August, I started seeing things change in, the, in all these people that I work with. And people now are taking longer. More people are being involved. More scrutiny for every single thing that's happening. Um, with the talks of a looming recession in 2023, every penny that is being spent now is really having to be justified in a different way. And when I asked Brent what was in that famous crystal ball of his, he didn't waste any time pointing out how people, that it was how people buy. He called it a story of confidence. And it's the way that people make decisions. It's becoming less and less bullish and more and more complex and careful. And salespeople who are able to help build confidence in the face of this trend will emerge as the new winners. And that means we've got to double down on clarity. Clarity on the future state they're chasing. Clarity on why that matters. Clarity on what happens if they achieve this. Clarity on what happens if they don't. Because getting clarity around these outcomes is how you cut through the fog. And with this in mind, it's clear that the greatest thing we can bring to the conversation very well may be perspective. Executives want you to help them with the answer to this, this question. They say, Rob, or whoever you are, what are other executives with roles like mine doing to solve problems like mine? I have people ask me that every single day. So when Brent suggested it, it resonated with me because it's the number one reason why people hire me as a sales leadership coach. And you 100% need to be able to do this. You should be able to do this. If you can't, it's because you just haven't chosen to. You have perspective because you've had far more conversations around these problems than any single customer ever will. Because you're talking to them and selling to them and implementing with them multiple times every day. You have far more insight on how others are solving these problems and why they're prioritized and what works and what doesn't than any customer ever could. Because the only way they can have that same level of insight is if they stop their real job and started having as many conversations on these topics as you have had. And that would require an investment of time that they just can't make. So learn to speak as a colleague and not just a vendor. 
share that perspective, lead with it. This is how you'll gain access to how they prioritize the problems they face. And a prioritized problem that you can help with, well, that's what fuels massive success. So go find those confidence gaps. Find the places where confidence erodes and, and help provide perspective and insight to fill those gaps. This will immediately differentiate you. Listen to what Brent said, okay? Understand how it feels to be them. And if you can, they will relate to you in ways they never will with any of your competitors. So this was an amazing episode. Brent, I can't thank you enough. And my advice to you as a listener, find those confidence gaps, okay? Find those confidence gaps. This was an episode jam-packed with insights I hope you found as killer as I did. My advice is to take those notes, find those gaps, listen to this one several times. In fact, you should share it with those you work with, your leadership colleagues and also your reps. Break it down. Really, I'd have a meeting on, on decision confidence. I would have a sales meeting. In fact, hit me up and send me messages around how you put that meeting together. I can't wait to hear about it. But listen to this one several times. You may even want to head to Sales Leadership United where we'll have several video segments of Brent uh, talking about this amazing conversation, but be intentional about using perspective to help build buyer decision confidence because Brent's right. Success in the year to come will be about helping decision makers create decision confidence in the face of uncertainty. So Brent, my friend, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for sharing your incredible insights with sales leaders worldwide. Your impact to our profession has been legendary, and this conversation is one that every single sales leader should choose to listen to over and over again. So connect with Brent, follow him, check out what he's got going on over at Ecosystems, subscribe to Brent's breakdowns, encourage your team members to do the same things. We'll put those links on our show notes, just go find them there, and then be intentional about how, how you help those you lead create buyer confidence. But thanks, Brent. This was amazing, even better than I expected, pure gold. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. If you liked this episode, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. It goes a long way in helping me continue to get the best guests in the world on the show. And many of you have asked how you can support it, help support the show. You can do it two ways. The first is to go check out Sales Leadership United. Listen, for the cost of lunch, you can make an investment in yourself that will be a game changer. I would love to get your take on what you think about this, this uh, wealth of sales leadership assets. But the easiest way you can support us, just share this episode with your friends and colleagues. Share the show with someone who needs to hear it. And then be elite, live strong, chase your passions. And don't worry, just execute, because we got you. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.